0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. On behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Last week, we continued in 1 Peter 4, verses 7-11 through with Pastor Chris, as we discussed what persecution does for us as Christians. This week, we're going to be finishing up in 1 Peter chapter 4 with Pastor Chris, as we look at the purpose of our suffering. Now, with all that said, let's go ahead and listen in on this week's message.
1: Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. And if uh, you have your Bible on your phone, turn it on to 1 Peter chapter 4. And Peter, as you know, he's writing for one specific reason. And that is to help the Christian overcome trials and persecutions in this life the right way. And that's the whole point of this message. Perfect for us in America as we're drifting away from God and drifting more into secularism and and uh, different kinds of religions and atheism and agnosticism, all these different thoughts and areas of belief is going to cause persecution within God's church. It's bound to happen. And so Peter's writing to a church, if you remember, that is being heavily persecuted. They're being blamed for one purpose. Do you remember that purpose? What what did Caesar Nero and the Roman Empire turn to Christianity and just begin to persecute them for? The burning of Rome. Remember there early or mid first century, the the Rome, uh, the Rome, city of Rome was burned to the ground and everybody was furious. It was believed to be Caesar himself who did it. But when he saw the backlash, he saw his political numbers dipping and his polls were there at rock bottom. He did what every politician does. He shifts the blame to someone else. And who better than a small sect who doesn't even partake in Roman way of living anyway. Who better than the Christian? And so the Christians began to be heavily persecuted, even to the point of death. And so Peter writes to this church and he breaks down how to overcome the tough times, particularly being persecuted because you're a Christian. And so chapter one, he says, look back. Remember Look at all that God has done for you and how valuable you are to him. He talks about this idea of election, that God chose you and God saved you through his son and God gave you his spirit for verse three, an inheritance so that you in faith in Christ can receive an eternal inheritance and how the apostles, they gave their life for you. So that here in Fontana in 2020, we can have the word of God. The prophets gave their life for you so that the gospel can be pushed forth. Even the holy angels, Peter tells us in chapter one, partook in the gospel so that you can be saved. So if God went through so much so that you can be in heaven, remember that when times are tough because God hasn't abandoned you. Then he gets into chapter two and he's not so much looking back as to looking present. And he says, look around when you're in the institutions that God has created. I want you to do one thing and it's an S word and it's a bad word in most of our vocabulary. But the, the Christian is called to do what? When it comes to the government, when it comes to the employer and when it comes into the family home, submit. submit. And that's like, especially for Americans that like to grab the the bull by the horns, we do not like that word submission. We hate it. And the Bible says, do it. The institute of government was given by God. Therefore, when we are living within that institution, submit to governmental authorities. There's only two times we don't. And what are those two times? When God tells us to do something, the world is telling us not to do, we honor God. And when God tell us to, tells us to not do something that the world tells us to do, we honor God. The only two exceptions. Then we get into employer, employee, we submit. We get into the family, we submit. And so we submit, submit, submit. And then we get into persecution. So we remember what God has done. We submit within our lives to the institutions God has established. And then we go through suffering the right way. And Peter in our message this morning and first Peter chapter four verses 12 through 19 summarizes everything he's already talked about and he's wrapping up persecution next week we go into a completely different subject as we close out the book this week he's summarizing everything he's already told us about persecution and do you remember first it's the message of persecution what does god tell his church according to peter do not what worry don't fear them chapter two don't be intimidated by them why because you're blessed The message of persecution from God to his people is don't you dare be intimidated. You're blessed. Then the model, who's our model for persecution and suffering for doing what is right? Christ, Christ. the end of chapter two, the model of our suffering is Jesus. And then in chapter three or chapter four, sorry the meaning of our suffering is to make you the very best version of yourself that you can be. And so suffering has a purpose. And so Peter now gives us the fundamentals or the ABCs of suffering for Christ's sake. So let's break down the A in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. So Peter starts off uh, the how to suffer the right way with the A. And that's having the right attitude. And he begins with uh, this word, beloved, or uh, in our vernacular, loved ones. Loved ones. And it's a very pastoral term. Peter uses it. Paul uses it. Uh, really, all the New Testament writers use it. And it's because it's coming from a, a place of emotion, a place of father to child kind of relationship. Peter loves these people. Peter is willing to die for the church and he does die for the church. And he he's so concerned for them because he knows that mothers are not going to be around to raise their children because they'll be thrown in prison and ultimately be either given to the lions or burnt at stake. He knows that some of the people that will receive his letter will have children that go home to be with the Lord far before they do. He knows that there will be marriages that are broken up because a wife is taken away. He understands that and his heart is being poured out to his people and he says loved ones. And he starts this uh, section on persecution with the same word loved ones and here he's ending it with the same phrase. In chapter 2 verse 11, Peter says, beloved or loved ones, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter starts off and says, loved ones. You're going to suffer, but live right. Live right. And now he's telling us again, loved ones, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. The first attitude we have when it comes to suffering, primarily suffering persecution, is expect it. Expect it. Don't be caught off guard. In football, The quarterback gets injured the most when he's hit from the blind side. It's because he doesn't see it coming. It can be the the same football player with the same weight coming at the same velocity. But when he sees it coming from the front, he can prepare himself. When he sees it or he doesn't see it coming from the back, that's usually when he ends up in the locker room. It's the punch that the boxer doesn't see that usually puts them on the canvas. And so Peter is saying, Christian, you are going to get smacked in this world. You will absolutely be persecuted in your faith, whether it's by a boss at work or people on the Internet. Whether it's within your own family, like within many Jewish and and Muslim communities, when their child is, is saved and they're a Christian, they are outcast, ostracized, told to leave everything and everyone they know. You will be persecuted. Peter's saying, don't let it catch you off guard. Don't get hit and be knocked out. Don't be blindsided by the fact that you're going to be suffering for God's sake. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. And the word fiery ordeal means to smelt. That's the Greek word to smelt. And it's an idea of a big furnace that you put precious metals into in order to refine them. And what Peter's saying is, you as a Christian are going to be refined. You're going to be put in the fire. You're going to be on the hot seat for your relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't let that catch you off guard. What does the fire do when you put gold into it? What's the purpose? Refine it. To take out the dross, the impurities, the things that are worthless so that gold comes out genuine, pure, 100%. Persecution does that for the Christian. So Peter's saying, have the attitude of expectance like you know it's going to happen. Why? Because it comes upon you for your testing, a refining, and don't think it's strange that it were happening to you. Most of Christendom up until I would say the 1800s or so lived in the absolute expectance that their relationship with christ is going to cause them harm from inception till about maybe a hundred years ago in most places of the world christianity was extremely uh viewed extremely hostile and even in our world today in many parts it is but in america we've gotten real soft we've gone so soft because we just assumed as a christian nation that everybody is going to be god-fearing and christ-like. And the reality is, we've god's out the courtrooms now, god's out the classrooms now, god's out the churches now, god's out of pretty much every area within the american uh, way. And false teachings being taught and improper doctrines being taught and Christians or people who believe they're Christians are growing up thinking God's desire for us is to be wealthy, to be healthy, to be prosperous, to be loved, to be successful. Nothing can be further from the truth. And so what, what happens when a whole generation of people who are taught, hey, the, the pastor says, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be healthy just like him. What happens when they believe that it's God's blessing that they be, you know, taken from the outhouse to the penthouse and it doesn't happen? What about specifically when they're at their job and they're worshiping God and they have a Bible on their desk or a calendar on the wall that has a Bible verse and people begin to ridicule? That doesn't go against or that doesn't go with the grain of or the flow of what's being taught here in America. The reality is the Bible promises, hard times, trials, persecutions. And this is something you will never see on a bumper sticker. You'll never see it on a on a, a Christian mug. You don't see this on Christian calendars, but this is God's promise to you. 2 Timothy 3:2 or 3:12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Even your desire to want to honor Christ is going to bring you persecution. There's no if, ands or buts about it. These words are in red, meaning Jesus spoke them. And this is what John 15, 18 through 21 said, and Kim read it earlier. Jesus speaking to his disciples and the disciples relationship to the world. If the world hates you, You know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. That's the promise. That's the reality of Christianity. The attitude we're to have is be expecting. And then secondly, be rejoicing. Verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep On rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. And Peter's doing a play on words. And what he's saying is, if you're able to be happy while you're suffering, just wait till you see Jesus at his revelation. If you're happy now, you're going to be ecstatic, is really what the Greek says. So it's a happiness taken to a whole new level. So the question is, why can we rejoice when someone wants to seize our business or fine our church for singing without a mask? Why is it that that these things are actually something to rejoice about? And if you've remembered over the past few weeks, it's because suffering persecution does what? Good things. It does good things. We saw two weeks ago that it makes you more mature in Christ. In 1 Peter 4, 1, if you remember, Peter says, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself like you would take a gun and protect yourself. Arm yourself also with the same purpose because he has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. And Peter's point is this, persecution causes your walk to be better. You see, if if we don't have any flame to, to our feet, we'll wake up, we might read our Bible, maybe we don't, maybe we look and say, man, I haven't been on my devotional for two weeks, you know, or I can't even remember the last time I prayed. And so we can just kind of methodically and just kind of coast through life. But when the fire's on, when the heat's turned up, when you walk out your door and you don't know if the army's going to come and snatch you away and take you to some camp, when you don't know if, if today is going to be your last day, when you don't even know how you're going to earn an income because the world has completely ostracized you. Imagine how reliant you are on God to say, God, just give me this day my daily bread. Mm -hmm. Guess what you're not going to be doing? Partying with the boys, thinking about how you're going to hook up with so-and-so. You don't got time for that, right? When the heat's on, you don't got time for anything else other than to be about the father's business. And so persecution causes maturity, strengthening. It causes strength and it causes a, a real um, supernatural growth. The second thing is it causes you to forsake the world. You remember verses three and four, Peter says, don't go back to the old way of living. Don't go back to the parties and, and the the wilding out lifestyles and the way you used to, to live it up in and, and college and don't go back to any of that. And then he tells us why. He says, because the old group of people you used to run with, verse four, they're gonna be the ones that's gonna persecute you. They're the ones who's gonna, number one, be confused why you don't hang out with them anymore and don't do the things that they used to do. And then they're the, gonna be the, the ones who revile you and say, oh, look at this person, they're too good for us, and that your old friends become your ner- new persecutors. And so it strengthens you, it separates you from the world, and Peter gives us another reason why we are to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4 uh, 13 says, So that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Here's the, another reason Peter says, rejoice when times are tough because you will be rewarded for your faithfulness in being able to handle persecution. And that's why when you're with Jesus, you're going to rejoice even greater because you will be blessed for your faithfulness here. In Luke chapter six, verse 22, listen to the Lord's words. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. Why? Here's why. So that your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they, their fathers also persecuted the prophets. The same measure you suffer for Christ here and now is the same measure you will be blessed by Christ at the second coming. Who here wants to be like super duper blessed? I mean, we talk about like right now, we want a penthouse, we want this. Imagine heaven when everything's exponentially better and the roof doesn't leak and the pipes don't burst and you get to own it forever. You get the title deed, right? To your own deluxe apartment in the sky high. Jesus is saying suffering is, you're paying the down payment for that. You're putting money away for that. Your blessing will come to the degree that you suffer for Christ's sake, just like the prophets. And Hebrews tells us of the prophets that the world was not worthy of these men. They just weren't worthy. They struggled proclaiming God's word even to the point of death. My question is, do you think Jeremiah is in heaven right now? Lamenting about how hard his ministry was here on earth. You think uh, Peter cr- being crucified upside down? Do you think he's saying, "God, why did you why did you allow me to go through that"? What about Paul? In fact, listen to what Paul says while he's here on earth. Romans eight eighteen, he says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to com- be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us." Peter says, rejoice, Christian, because Jesus will never forget your pain. And he, if you're standing up and representing him in the here and now, imagine when you're next to him in glory. Imagine the rewards day. Imagine him giving to you what you've earned through faithfulness. Peter says, rejoice and keep on rejoicing. So the attitude is be expectant of of bad things, primarily persecution, and two, rejoice in it. Now let's look at the blessings, verse 15 and 16. And this is the B of our outline, the blessings of suffering persecution. Why can we rejoice? Verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are, and what is that B word? Blessed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. Why does Peter say you're blessed if you suffer persecution? Because what? Right there in the text, not a trick question. Because who comes upon you? God's spirit. God's spirit comes upon you. Peter is saying persecution is proof or assurance of your salvation. Persecution is assurance of your salvation. Why do you think that is? It's pretty simple logic. If you're being persecuted because you follow Christ, but you don't really believe, what are you going to stop doing in order to stop being persecuted? Following Christ. People don't die for convictions they don't have. People are not going to live a rough life for things they don't believe in. Peter is saying, if you're standing up to persecution and you are willing to throw away this life for Christ, then that proves your salvation. That proves the spirit of the living God is upon you. It proves that you're born again. Now, for us evangelical Christians that are in the New Testament scripture, we're like, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Imagine the billions of people who are willing to go to the ends of the earth to know that God has forgiven them and they have no assurance. In Islam, you don't know if you're going to heaven or not until you take your last breath. In all the religions, you don't know if your your good works are better than your bad works. You have to go through life assuming and hoping and praying and trying really hard to appease God. Peter is saying if you're suffering persecution, you have the proof in the pudding. It's right there. It's staring you in the face. We have assurance of our salvation through suffering hard times. And it's so interesting because when a person is born again, the spirit of God seals them, comes upon them. Do you know what the Bible talks about when it says the spirit coming upon you, the spirit sealing you? It is referring to God making a down payment on your life. In first Corinthians, uh, or second Corinthians, sorry, second Corinthians chapter two, Verse 21 and 22. Oh, I think I got the wrong. Oh, it's right here. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Listen to what Paul writes. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So when a person is born again, God gives his spirit to that person as a pledge. The Greek word is a down payment. Anybody ever put something on layaway? You put something on layaway because maybe you don't have the money right now or, or maybe you really want it but you don't want somebody else to have it. So you put the money down and you take it off the shelf. When God gives his spirit to you, that's God putting you on layaway. He's taking you off the shelf because you belong to him now. You belong to him. The price has been fully paid. All you're waiting for now is for Jesus to come and claim you. And that's, as Christians, what we're waiting for. So Peter is saying persecution is proof that God has not forgotten you but has invested in you, put you on layaway, if you will, bought you at a price to redeem you at a later time, his second coming. The spirit of God over God's people is like an engagement ring. You gentlemen, you got down on one knee if you're married and at one point you asked the gal to marry you and you put a ring on her finger. Now she to the world is off the market. That engagement ring has claimed her to you. She's off the market, and it's a promise that I am going to marry you. I'm going to consummate. I'm going to be one with you. God's spirit is the same. He loves you. He hasn't forgotten about you, and he proves it by his Holy Spirit, saying, I am married to you. I am joined to you, and trust me, I'm coming to make it all right. And so God's spirit is upon us at our salvation, and it is proof that we are actually born again. So it is our assurance in verse 14, and then in verse 15, he goes on, Make sure that none of you who suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is to not be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Peter says, your blessing is your assurance of salvation. Be proud of that. Be proud of that name. And what name specifically is he saying? What title is he referring to? And it's right there. Christian he's saying because you've been sealed because you've been saved because you're God's property be proud of that name when they revile you see the world has done an incredible job at at taking all the the gusto out of the church we're scared to go door-to-door knocking God forbid we even bring the gospel up to a to an unbeliever God forbid we even post something on our internet that's related to Christianity. We have a fear of rejection. We have a a fear of not belonging. Peter says, if they're reviling you, be proud of that. Don't be ashamed of that truth. And did you know that in, in the world, Christianity for the most part is a very shameful thing. Did you know that? I don't know. Maybe in our American thinking, we don't know that. Across the world, Christianity is a shameful thing. People look at the cross and they're like, that is the most dumbest thing I've ever heard. And the Bible tells us that. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Christianity is shameful for many people in the world. They look at it and say, that's the most idiotic thing in the world, to love everybody, to turn the other cheek, to to not go to war, to not take a tooth for a tooth, to not get vigilant, to not get um, uh, violent, to not overcome through force, but to submit. Christianity is a shameful thing. There's a story uh, Ravi Zacharias told of an incident that happened in Malaysia, it was at a Malaysian university where the student body and the staff were 98% Muslim. And there they had a, a speaker by the name of, uh, he was a Muslim apologist by the name of Ahmed Didat. And Ahmed Didat, he was a Muslim apologist and he was teaching on the uh, Christianity being unsensical and unlivable. In other words, Christianity is dumb and it can't be done. And so he spent a whole hour explaining why that's the truth. Finally, it was question and answer time. And one of the professors uh, in the uh, Department of Geology there in the Malaysia University said, Sir, I'm a Christian. Why do you say my faith is dumb and unlivable? And Ahmed said, You, you, come here. Come to the stage. Come, stand right next to me. And so he did. And Ahmed wound up his arm and with all his force slapped the professor right across the face. He said his he said his knees buckled, his eyes started to get watery. Not a funny thing being persecuted for Christ. His eyes started getting watery. He lost his balance and then he realized what had just happened. And then Ahmed Didat said, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. And so he said, God, please help me. Give me the strength. And so he turned the other cheek. And Ahmed said, forget that. Give me your shirt. And so the professor took his shirt off. And he said, you're supposed to give me your pants too. The professor looked at the crowd filled of men and women and apologized and began to get naked. And Ahmed Didat said, This is Christianity. A man with a swollen face, naked and ashamed before you. That's Christianity. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But the Bible goes on and says, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. He went back to his office, put on his clothes, sat there rubbing his face when there was a knock at the door. He opened it. And there, students and staff, 98% Muslim, wrapped all the way down the hall and around the corner. They wanted to ask for forgiveness and ask about Jesus. The world looks at Christianity as a shameful thing. It's a stupid thing. If you follow it to its extent, you will end up naked and alone. Peter says, take pride in that name. You don't have to, Christian, not be zealous because everybody's going to look at you as a freak. I love what Greg Laurie said one time at a conference. He said, I'm ambitious for God and I am not going to apologize for it. And that's the mentality us as Christians are to move forward with. Christ is our banner. Christ is our life. We are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so Peter says, Your blessing is that it proves you are saved and you can boast in the Lord because of that. That's where your blessing lies. So your attitude is, persecution's coming, be what? Be ready and then rejoice and rejoice because you are saved and you can boast in the Lord for that salvation. All things are working together for good. Your walk is getting stronger here and now and your rewards are getting better in the future. All things Glorify God, all things working together for your good. And then quickly, we're going to go to the C of our ABCs of suffering. And the C is the commitment, the commitment, verse 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, verse 19, those who also who, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And here is the C or our commitment to the gospel. Peter talks about judgment, the judgment of the church, verse 17, the judgment of the unbeliever, verse 18. And all he's saying is this. Everybody is going to suffer because of sin. Everybody, all creation groans. There's not one person, believer or unbeliever, who goes through life and goes through judgment unscathed with because of sin. Everybody. He's saying, though, that the church... Our refinement, our judgment is persecution. And that's in the here and now. But the evildoer, their judgments at the judgment of God. And if the righteous struggle, how much more the unrighteous? If we are God's beloved people and we are being harassed, reviled, demonized, There's some keyboard warrior in another part of the country that is just writing you on Facebook, whatever the case may be. When those things happen and you struggle, God says it will get better. For the unbeliever, the message is it will get worse. We're struggling in the here and now through God's fiery judgment, the unbeliever's will stand before God in the great white throne judgment where they will be cast into the lake of fire. That's, that's why he says, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust. And the word is keep on believing. So here at Journey, that can be our motto, right? Keep on believing. We could even play it when I come up on stage. He says, keep on entrusting your souls and then get this we're not entrusting our souls to the Republican Party we're not entrusting our souls to the Democratic Party we're not entrusting our souls to our bank account we're not entrusting our souls to our best friends we're entrusting our souls to a faithful creator the one who knows every single thought you've ever had, the one who created you and fashioned you from your DNA on out, the one who knows your breaking points, your limits, the one who knows your strengths and your weaknesses, your, your fallibilities, the one who loves you is one who is faithful, one who is faithful to you. And so Peter says, our job is to be faithful to him. Continue on. Keep on committing. It's the last five words of the verse, if anybody wants to read it. Our job is to do what? In doing what is right. God is faithful. God's got our back. All things working together for good. What is our job? Doing what honors God. So A stands for? B stands for? C stands for commitment, <laughs> right? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that, uh, we just thank you, God, that we can, uh, just really enjoy you. And, uh, we can laugh and sing and cry and be thankful and all these emotions, God, that, that come upon us, Lord, come to us. I just pray that you would, uh, bless this time, that you would, um, God, that you would just prepare us in our lifetimes, in America, it is going to get worse and worse and worse. And the church is going to be the last voice standing up for what is right. And so, Lord, we embrace that. We understand that. And God, we know that in all of it, it is for our maturation it is for our reward it is for our growth and it is assurance that we have been joined together to the Almighty God thank you for choosing us thank you for marrying us as we wait for Christ's return all of God's people say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we pray these, in G- these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: <laughs> and that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church of Montana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church of Montana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.